Not everything in life is what it seems, because even salt looks like sugar. I feel like I hear her. You know, the way she used to talk. Allen police say they were called to the home at 1 a.m. to check on someone who was suicidal. Greetings from the dark side of the pomegranate. I am your host, Billy Hoosh. Welcome to Even Salt Looks Like Sugar, a podcast that explores true crime, paranormal activity, and unsolved mysteries. This series discusses difficult and distressing subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 17, Allen, Texas, Murder-Suicide. Life is an endless journey that will take you virtually anywhere you choose to go. It is a story of right and wrong, with many memory-breeding experiences in between. Moments are never always good, nor are they always bad. And although life is far from a pristine utopia, it is our cornucopia of good, great, and amazing things which help define us as people. Life may fall short, and we may even fall down at times, but it is our strong will and our free will which will help us survive. We are capable of functioning, as life is all about breathing, exploring, growing, and reacting. But what happens when a socially anxious school nerd contemplates the unimaginable and decides he wants to take his entire family with him? What happens when a premeditated pact becomes the final plot in a real-life story? This is the Allen, Texas murder suicide. Hello, I'm Sarah Afshar. Depression is dark matter that impairs your ability to think, to feel, to act, and to react. Although depression is caused by many different things, oftentimes there is no remote cause. Some of the most common causes, however, include history of physical and emotional trauma, environmental stressors, DNA damage, and even excessively overthinking. You can eliminate depression by distracting and diverting that dark energy onto something more positive and productive. But before you do so, it's crucial to question your thoughts and understand your psyche and psychological anatomy and question your feelings as well as readjusting your expectations of life in general. You also want to implement and execute a plan to get better. And talk to someone. A therapist can help you both identify your depression and how to address it. When you become aware of your own biochemical and biological pathways and utopian foibles, not only will you free yourself from this mental disorder and distressor, you'll eliminate it completely from your life. Remember, you are your biggest critic, your own worst enemy. But 
you are your best friend until the end. Not everything in life is what it seems because even salt looks like sugar. Monday, April 5th of 2021 seemed like any other day in the small Texas town of Allen until a family friend noticed a modestly lengthy Instagram post published by 19-year-old Farhan Tohid. Tohid, an aspiring software engineer who attends the University of Texas at Austin for computer science, seemed like any other 19-year-old who wanted to succeed until now. The post is disturbing and quite lengthy, with quite a few mistakes, but I'll read it verbatim anyway. The post reads, Hi everyone, I killed myself and my family. If I'm going to die, I might as well get some attention. I'm going to cover four very important I encountered throughout my life. Who knows, some good might come of it. For those who don't know, I've had depression since ninth grade, 2016. Not the damn, I failed my test, depression everyone says they have, more like I cut myself twice today, that's better than usual. I remember the first time I cut myself. It was on August 22nd of 2017, and I did it with a pair of craft scissors. The blades were pretty dull, so it was more of rubbing the scissors against my arm instead of a clean cut. Eventually my skin gave. After a couple more lines, the relief started to kick in. It didn't take long to become addicted to the feeling. Unfortunately, the scissors made for kids aren't very good for cutting flesh, so I had to move on to knives. It was pretty easy just taking one from the kitchen. They were dull, but they worked much better together. Initially, I would cut myself every other week, but the frequency drastically as junior year pro progressed. I moved on to cutting weekly, every other day, daily, and finally multiple times a day. The need to cut leaked into the times I was at school. I can't count how many calculus quizzes I turned in blank since I was too busy in the bathroom cutting myself. To make matters worse, my three friends dropped me. They tried to help me before, but then they realized dealing with a depressed person is a lot of work. I was angry at first, but in retrospect, what were they supposed to do? In comes my first point, getting help. Everyone says you can talk to me and posts those useless mental health links on their stories. But when you actually interact with someone who's depressed, you realize how impossible fixing them is. I've never benefited from telling someone how depressed I was. It always ends with them having to leave me. The only people who stick around are those obligated to. Just pretend you care and never directly offer to help. It'll only waste both of our time. I hit my breaking point sometime in winter that year. 
until I cut myself until I physically couldn't feel anything. I couldn't hide being depressed anymore. Once I told my dad, he worked his ass off trying to help me. Eventually I was thrown in some teen mental health camp where I was finally diagnosed and got medication, 25 milligrams of desvenlafaxin, if you're curious, which seemed to help. They also have me coping mechanisms like journaling and what not along with therapy. Things were looking up. Second semester of junior year, as some of you know, was a big change. I became fucking cool. By the time summer came around, I lost most of my fat and stopped being the cringy, awkward kid I used to be. End of summer rolls around and in comes senior year, the best year of my life. I somehow managed to get a girlfriend who was far out of my league, became a programming god, and made a solid new friend group. Things got even better when I got into computer science at University of Texas at Austin, which is supposed to be a big deal. I never really cared about school, but it felt good having something others cared about. My life was starting to sound perfect, right? Unfortunately, the answer is yes, my life was perfect. That was the issue. My life was perfect, but that didn't change the fact that I was depressed, and I would still have urges to cut myself or end up crying myself to sleep. I tried doubling up on my medication, which worked but only temporarily. Every solution was only temporary. Fast forward to college. I moved in with three of my best friends. Going to college was going to be a fresh new start where I could start putting in effort, get good grades, and hopefully become normal. I couldn't do it. I swear, I tried, but I just couldn't. For the life of me, I just can't comprehend how people do it. You people are okay with spending hours upon hours listening to lectures, doing homework, and studying for at least four years so you can get a job and make some money. You plan on working that job for a third of your life, sleep for the other third, and do God knows what for the last. The infamous suicide note continues. It reads, How are you satisfied with that? Don't you ever get bored or upset with the menial stuff? Doesn't it feel like you're wasting your time? It's not fair. I did everything right, every little fucking thing right, and I'm still just apathetic. Everyone's allowed to worry about their future, and I can't even think about what I'm going to do tomorrow without enduring an existential crisis. It's not fair how everyone can be so content while I can't even fathom being happy. No matter what I do, I just can't be happy. It bugged the hell out of me. I started doing poorly in my classes, and at the end of the semester, I had my first breakdown in months. I only cried, laughed, and talked to myself while punching a wall for hours. 
compared to the other times I broke, this one wasn't so bad. At this point in time, my two sweet mates knew I was extremely depressed. I mean, it would have been kind of weird if they didn't. My roommate, on the other hand, gave me the impression that I was a joke. Apparently, he thought he also had depression, and the only reason I needed medication while he didn't was because I had willpower. I guess in a way, he was right. My second point starts with a question, mainly directed to anyone who thinks they're depressed. Why? You had a bad breakup in 10th grade? You flunked your physics exam. I swear you can claim you are depressed if you shed a tear after watching a Try Not To Cry compilation. I remember senior year when I arrived at school after a little cutting session and one of my friends said, I'm going to kill myself. They had physics tests that day. The best part is they knew I had depression, the real kind. Before people start claiming I'm gatekeeping being sad, that's not the case at all. Of course it makes sense for people to be bummed out after forgetting about a quiz or acing the interview. My problem is, while many people feel sadness, it just isn't depression. Depression is when you feel that same sadness to the point it interrupts your sleep or prevents you from doing your hobbies for over two weeks. It's a real illness. And if calling someone retarded as a joke is considered wrong, then treating depression the same way should be too. Also, I don't get why mental illnesses are treated so differently than physical ailments. No one expects someone without legs to walk. So it shouldn't be so much of a surprise that someone depressed has a hard time being normal. I think this stems from the idea of consciousness separate from the physical structure of the brain. But if someone took out a fundamental part of your brain, you might become a completely different person. Off the top of my head, an example would be cases of people with epilepsy, who once they had their amygdalas removed, were reprived from their seizures but acted much more reckless as they seem to no longer have a natural fear response. I'm sure they, there are plenty of examples. Excuse me for the interruption. Are you still with me? The lengthy suicide Instagram post continues. Neurons are just the biological equivalent of transistors in computers. ACTG instead of zeros and ones. That's DNA. But you get the point. Consciousness is nothing but a byproduct of evolutionary luck. Winter break came along and I tried to get reinvested in school by programming. I made a 3D graphics engine with my brother, which was pretty fun. You can check it out on github.com backslash Farto. I was ready to give school another shot. I never really had a choice, did I? It didn't work. I just couldn't care. I tried my best to keep it together, but my closest sweet mate noticed I was extremely off. He offered to talk to me, and I made the mistake of accepting. 
I told him everything. He knew most of my ideals already, but there was one new thought that haunted him. Don't worry, I'll reveal it in a bit. All you need to know is that a few weeks after our talk, I was kicked out of our dorm. I can't really blame him, but I do wish they would have at least made the decision with me. A short week after getting evicted, I dropped out of college. I needed to get a will to live before I could get motivation for a piece of paper. I spent the first few weeks of being a dropout by just watching shows with my older brother. If you think my situation was fucked, his was much worse. The dude is a ducking genius, but is too depressed and socially anxious to do anything with it. He had to go through the same shit except by himself. I would have killed myself a long time ago if he weren't there. The first and most important show we watched was The Office. This leads me to my major third point. The Office should have ended when Michael left. Don't get me wrong, there were a lot of good episodes afterwards. Season 3 and Season 7 were my favorites. But eventually, it went to shit. The whole point is that it's people in funny but plausible situations. But then they introduce Robert California, who convinces the owner of a multi-billion dollar company to make him the fucking CEO. Then, this stupid British chick, whose name I can't even remember, takes Andy's fucking job, and nobody backs him up. The show has them all bond, and nobody backs them up. What the fuck is that? It's not realistic at all, and it spits in the face of all character development we've had. Speaking of which, why does Andy have to go insane in the last season? Out of every character on the show, he grew the most. He had anger management issues and was a goddamn syncopath, but grew into someone who really caring and genuine. His family gets destroyed and he's the one who cleans the mess up, but then randomly decides to go on this stupid boat trip for no reason. This is the character who traveled all the way to Florida for Aaron, but he leaves her to ride a boat without her. What the fuck? And to top all this off, he gets the worst ending of the group. Great. People say the finale makes up for it, which is a complete lie. Sure, it was cute, but it doesn't justify the last shitty seasons he had to deal with. Yeah, Michael's there, but only for two scenes. There's a lot more I want to say, but hey, life is short. Verbatim, the sinister suicide note continues. We kept watching until February 21st of 2021. That's the day my older brother came into my room with a proposition. If we can't fix everything in a year, we'll lull ourselves and our family. Allow me to explain. Anyone who knew me knew that I operate on pure logic. Every decision I make is based on a pros and cons list, including the one to kill my family. Let's start with the meaning of life. 
Everyone thinks the meaning of life is the deep, unsolvable mystery. But the conclusion I came to is really simple. The only reason for existence is happiness. In fact, every decision you make is solely because it contributes to your overall happiness. I know many of you will disagree with me, but hopefully I can convince you with a few examples. There's the obvious choices we make like watching TV and playing video games, which make us happy directly. But then there's the more obscure and less obvious decisions. Students don't attend school for direct happiness, but they view the alternative as worse for their happiness. Whether it be disappointing their parents or not having a future, so they go, thus contributing to their total happiness. The others who skip view school as the worst decision feel short-term happiness is more valuable. Some of you religious people might say you only live to please God, but the act of worship is yet another decision that makes you content. Even some selflessness, things like going to your annoying friend's birthday party, is something that makes you happy because all of your other friends knowing you skipped would make you feel even worse. Going to work, taking drugs, even taking out the trash are decisions we make for happiness and happiness only. If the only reason we live is for happiness, then logically you shouldn't live if you aren't happy. That makes sense, right? Imagine waking up, being waterboarded for an hour, electrocuted for 20 minutes, forced to watch the first half of season 9 of The Office, and finally out to sleep. Now imagine repeating the cycle daily until you died. In this scenario, I'm sure that every single one of you would prefer death, whether you want to admit it or not. Although I'm not quite as bad as the situation, it's bad enough to warrant suicide. I live in so much pain and turmoil that it isn't worth living anymore. This suicide note is extremely long, but since I'm almost done, I'll continue. I'm aware that my death will bring sadness to everyone else, but I'm too selfish to care. Not selfish enough, however. There's my family, the one reason I forced myself to live for 19 years. I know I said I operate on logic, but the one emotional aspect of my life is the only reason I'm here. I love my family. I genuinely do. And that's exactly why I decided to kill them. If I killed just myself, they would be miserable. They would spend the rest of their lives feeling guilt, despair, and a multitude of adjectives that mean sad. And even if they got over it, it would have become a permanent facet of their lives. For example, someone I love killed themselves and I couldn't do anything about it. Instead of having to deal with the aftermath of suicide, I could just do them a favor and take them with me. None of us would ever have to feel sad ever again. My brother and I tried for a little bit. There were small improvements like doubling our medication again after being diagnosed with ADHD, but we eventually realized we were just bidding our time. Waiting a year was way too long. Why not wait a month? The plan was simple. We got two guns. 
I take one and I shoot my sister and my grandma while my brother kills our parents with the other. Then we take ourselves out. I would say the only hard part was getting the guns, but that would be a lie. My fourth and final point, gun control in the United States is a joke. All my brother had to do was go to the gun shop, say something about wanting a gun for home defense, sign some forms, and that was it. There was a question asking if he had any mental illness, but get this, he lied. He literally just said no. They didn't ask for proof or if we were taking any medication, and he was. Just a yes or no question. Literally anyone can get a gun if they haven't been officially diagnosed. Thanks for making the process so easy. For those of you listening, thank you for tuning in. Finally, the suicide note ends with the following. In my last few minutes, I realized I needed to get rid of all my money and decided to go helping other people out on GoFundMe. I would just like to say, what the fuck? The fundraisers are organized by most raised. Why the fuck is it organized in the most ineffective way of raising as much money as possible? That doesn't make any sense. Literally no sense. I literally scrolled for 20 minutes and the least amount I found was 35,000. This shit is pissing me off, man. It pissed me off to the point where I was going to just donate to charity now. I know it's less effective, but I don't care. Fuck the people who programmed the filter on GoFundMe. I don't care how many lives you've changed. You could have changed even more if you just made multiple filters. And now we're here. Well, I guess my family and I aren't, but you get the point. The suicide note I just read has since been deleted from Farhan's Instagram profile, which was originally linked from Google Docs. After it was originally published, it prompted the police to investigate almost immediately. Shortly after, local law enforcement officials decided to pay a visit to the family home where they discovered 19-year-old Farhan Tohid and 21-year-old Tanvir Tohid did the unthinkable. What started off as a wondrous warm day got very ugly after the diabolical duo decided to carry out their original plan, which was published on Instagram by Farhan. Both Farhan and Tanvir shot their family before turning the same gun on themselves. In addition to 19-year-old Farhan Tohid and 21-year-old Tanvir Tohid, whose bodies were discovered lifeless, the victims include the Tohid's father, 54-year-old Talhidul Islam, their mother, 56-year-old Irin Islam, their 77-year-old grandmother, Altafun Nessa, and 19-year-old Farbin Tohid, the twin sister of Farhan. It is estimated that the murder-suicide happened on Saturday, April the 3rd. However, the exact time remains unknown still till this day. Farhan fought a different fight than the rest of us. Where we're at a baseline of happy, 
Far One was at a baseline of pain, and by no means can I ever excuse his actions. But I just want everyone to know that his parents did absolutely nothing wrong. They didn't pressure him. They didn't force him. His depression was not any type of product of his environment. He was just not genetically as lucky as the rest of us. Out of high school, we became best friends up until this past weekend. According to Tahidul Islam's brother, Azazul Buya Hadir, his brother was a good man who loved his family and would do anything in the world to help them. Hadir said Tahidul never shared anything regarding Farhan or Tanvir's mental state with him and the death was both shocking and mysterious because no one ever anticipated this to happen. Hadir also mentioned that Islam encouraged him to move to the United States where he eventually relocated to in the late 1980s. Their grandmother, Altafun Nessa, had plans to return to her native land of Bangladesh, but because of COVID-19, had to remain in the United States. Sadly, Nessa never returned and lost her life at the hands of her own grandchild. Faiza Rahman, a classmate of Farhan's, also weighed in by sharing that both Tahidul and Irene Islam welcomed everyone to their home and were always so thoughtful, kind, and understanding of others. Rahman also added that their legacy was valuable and that this crime shouldn't be a part of it, as they were wonderful people with very promising futures ahead of them. If you know someone who is depressed, help them. Do not ignore them. If you are depressed, talk to someone. Do not give up. There are many social service groups within your community that can help you. Life is too valuable. Remind yourself daily that you do matter. Remember, you are not alone and there are people who can help. If you're enjoying tonight's episode of Even Salt Looks Like Sugar, please subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Stitcher, Spreaker, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Also visit our official website, evensaltlookslikesugar.com. If you suffer from depression and have thoughts of suicide and harm, please call 1-800-273-8255. Or text the word HOME to 741-741. Remember, you are not alone and there are people who can help you. Mental illness does not discriminate. It affects you, it affects me, and it affects everyone around us. In fact, over 800 million people alone struggle with some sort of mental health issue. And here in the United States, over 50 million people are struggling with mental illness every single day. No matter what someone's economic status is, the reality is everyone in life is fighting a battle. Some 
more than others. And sometimes that battle is hidden from the rest of us. Mental illness can happen to anyone and sometimes the pain is unseen. Luckily, there is help. And if you are currently suffering from mental illness or any type of mental disorder, remember, you are not alone. There are plenty of support services available. And if you know of someone currently struggling with mental illness, do not ignore them. Instead, talk to them and follow up with them daily. If you are currently suffering from any mental illness and are contemplating suicide, visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org. You can also chat via phone at 1-800-273-8255 or you can participate in their Lifeline chat service. Both are available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week to serve you. Remember, your life is valuable. You are valuable. There is nothing to be ashamed of. You are worth more than you know. You are valuable and your life is priceless. This is your host, Billy Hoosh, signing off. Thank you for listening. Until we meet again, remember, not everything in life is what it seems, because even salt looks like sugar. <laughs>